HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. HRN has a brand new look, but we're sharing the same delicious stories. Invest in the future of food radio by becoming a monthly sustaining member at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Okay, I am in my local grocery store, and I am here to do an experiment, kind of. I am looking for misleading packaging. Right, so I'm seeing these like chicken breasts that have, it's like this nice green packaging. It's got uh, grass on it and it has these notes underneath like fresh chicken breasts where it says all natural, no hormones or steroids added. But then they each have these footnotes on them and then down at the bottom of the packaging, it says, Minimally processed, no artificial ingredients. Keep refrigerated. But like it's chicken, so like what would the artificial ingredients be? And then the footnote under that say federal regulations prohibit the use of hormones or steroids in poultry. Which like if it's a thing that's federally prohibited, why bother advertising it, right? Shouldn't all chicken have no hormones or steroids added? Confusing. That was HRN intern Brianna Brady browsing the shelves at her local grocery store. She went to investigate what the packaging is or isn't saying about the food within. This week, we're looking at labels and how they can mislead us. Some brands position themselves as leaders in health and sustainability with buzzwords and imagery like natural, free range, and hormone free. How can companies who are actually using sustainable practices distinguish themselves from the posers? And how can consumers make informed decisions when shopping for food? We'll find out. I'm Kat Johnson, and this is Meat and Three. Meat and Three. Meat and Three. Meat and Three. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meat and Three. To start off this week, let's set the stage and try to understand some of the forces at play that create such a friendly environment to misleading labels. In 2014, the Museum of Food and Drink hosted a debate surrounding the ethics of advertising in big food. Since then, marketing strategies have changed, but corporate responsibility in advertising remains elusive. 
On this panel, experts in market research, consumer advocacy, and public health try to answer the question, are consumers or manufacturers responsible for what consumers buy? It's a big question, and spoiler alert, the panelists didn't answer it within the hour. In asking where accountability lies, they exposed a web of legal and ethical factors that complicate the situation. Michelle Simon, a public health lawyer and food policy writer, spoke about how integrity is often sacrificed for profits. We have a food industry that spends billions of dollars a year on everything from R&D to figure out how to engineer products to get you to keep eating more and more, to focus groups, to deep psychological research to figure out how to get you to eat more and more, and what color to use on the packaging, and that go on and on and on. So you have this imbalance of an industry that is doing what it's supposed to do, sell more product. That's what they're actually legally obligated to do. And that's an important component to understand that publicly traded companies' first legal obligation is to their shareholders. So if companies have a legal responsibility to maximize profits, they're going to market their food in the most profitable way possible. Simon continued on, saying that companies could even be sued for prioritizing social benefit over economic benefit. They're also spending lots of money, almost as much, lobbying to make sure there's a regulatory-friendly environment that they can push their agenda through. And so, again, not exactly a level playing field. And so we also have to ask, what is the role of government? So there's another hurdle to accountability— Policymakers answer to companies, and companies answer to their shareholders. But there are companies doing good by consumers and our food system. How do they operate in this landscape? Standing out can be tough in a marketplace filled with misrepresentation. Think about it. When one big company uses misleading advertising to portray themselves as, quote-unquote, all-natural, this muddies the waters— If all ads look the same, how can consumers know what is really sustainable? We turn to episode 133 of Eating Matters. Host Jenna Liu discusses truth in advertising with Leslie Crumple, the mission executive for Organic Valley. Organic Valley is the largest farmer-owned organic food cooperative in the country. Our partners at our creative agency, Humanot, put together a reel of ads and videos by a bunch of food companies showing this beautiful, romantic farm imagery. One of Mm -hmm. them was McDonald's. Mm -hmm. It was someone walking up a wooden ladder, picking an apple in the sunshine. Yeah. And it was this moment for us of realizing that the way we had been putting farmers in the center of our marketing on our package in stores. Yeah, your farmers are years. literally your your real farmers They're, are on your cartons, our right? Our real farmers are on our cartons. Yeah. All of any ad that you see from Organic Valley, social post with a farmer in it, that's one of our farmers. We don't use models or actors. Um, and we've been doing that for years and all of a sudden we're seeing a bunch of food companies who don't have a real commitment to farmer well-being mm-hmm. or organic sustainable farming practices wanting to capitalize on the popularity of organic and the farm-to-table movement, Mm -hmm. uh, which felt really tough for us to see because if they're all saying that they're doing or making it seem like they're doing the same things we're doing, how do we stand out? 
This is a hard question to answer. How do you stand out when bigger companies use similar advertising, even if it's misleading? One way is to educate consumers on what questions to ask about the food they're buying. You should be thinking about and asking companies to back up what they're saying. Yeah, to really be transparent with their practices. And I think that's that's great. And I think anything that helps kind of educate consumers, even about the types of questions they should be asking or the things they should be thinking about, exactly. um, you know, is really, really helpful just to kind of get people, oh, make them more aware, yep. right? That they, they could be falling like victim to this greenwashing that happens yep. all the time. We'll be right back with more Meet and 3 after a quick break. HRN is excited to unveil the new look of food radio. We have a new brand identity and a new website. Our site makes it easier than ever to discover new podcasts and to dig through our archive of over 15,000 episodes. It's been 11 years since HRN started broadcasting food radio, and we've made it this far thanks to the support of our global listening community. It's because of member donations that this show is on the air, along with 40 other weekly shows. Your contributions gave HRN the security we needed to stay on the airwaves during the pandemic and are allowing us to reopen our studio in Roberta's. Becoming a monthly sustaining member of HRN shows us how much food radio means to you. Become a monthly sustaining member at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome back to Meat and Three. Now we turn to one of the labels that I personally encounter quite often, natural, as in natural wine. It's everywhere. But what does the term natural wine even mean? Does it mean anything at all? So you, we know the word natural wine has a problem. It has no legal definition. This is a big problem. That's Antonella Manuli. She runs La Maliosa, a farm and vineyard outside of Florence, Italy. Antonella wants to bring meaning and transparency to the term natural wine by measuring her winery's carbon emissions. She was a guest on HRN on Tour, where she discussed the environmental impact of quote-unquote natural winemaking and what producers and consumers can do about it. I could tell you anything, and you can believe me or not. I can say a lot of greenwashing. I can talk about flowers in the vineyards or bees, whatever, you know. But it's not really the point. It's not just a pretty postcard. It's not just that the wine maybe has 20 sulfites instead of 120. What am I doing to my environment? We need to measure this, and we need a measure that is really recognized by everything. And this is the CO2 emission. Inside CO2 measurement, you find everything. I really think that as producers, we have to be very careful of greenwashing. If I say something to you, I should be able to prove it to you in some way and to give you some kind of a measure. We should really start bringing relevant storytelling to the market, okay? I think natural wine, if it wants to become a more mature product, a more mainstream product, we, we as producers, need to uh, become more critical towards ourselves, more professional and more rational in a way. And if we are to be transparent, we really 
really transparent. I mean, give you, give you something that you, you can verify. This is even more important because we have no legal definition, you see. If we had a legal definition, well, we could say we're doing everything by the law and that's it. Like organic, okay? I'm organic, I have a certification, I'm doing everything by the book, okay? But when I also say I'm more than organic, I'm natural, how are you working? You know, the carbon footprints is, has everything inside. And by this QR code that you can find, for instance, on my bottles, it logs you onto the website, the page where all my carbon footprint calculation is explained. I became the first biodynamic farm in Italy to certify its carbon emission, and this is a work I've done with the University of Siena. And this, and this really was, was very interesting to me because it was not only an assessment, but it gave me some clear guidelines where I could improve. She now uses a form of regenerative agriculture on her farm called Metodo Corino to not just be carbon neutral, but carbon negative. This means her farm absorbs more CO2 than it creates. To do this, she covers her soil with grass and maintains forests around her farm. Her electricity comes from the sun and her irrigation comes from the rain. She uses rechargeable electric machinery and chooses grapes that are naturally adapted to the farm's terroir. We, we had some suggestions from the university and the first thing they, they said, we could uh, use a lighter glass bottle. So we lowered by 60 grams our, our bottle and this gave us overall of the, of the whole footprint of the farm a 10% decrease, which is really a lot if you think about it. This is something that anybody can do without changing anything else. You can... You can produce carbon in the vineyard, in the cellar, and in the packaging. So you, you need to look at all sides of your product. If you are a natural wine producer, you need to take responsibility about what you're doing. It's not just a question of taste and quality. Uh, the whole storytelling on wine is taste and quality, terroir, okay. Taste, quality, terroir, great. But here we are in natural wine. We should be doing something else. Better, maybe we should inspire the rest of the world of viticulture to start doing something a little bit more consciously. We have an ethical responsibility. And you as consumers, you should really ask for, for the producers to take this responsibility. Don't just taste the wine because, because we should be accountable for what we do in the vineyard. One important thing to note when we talk about a farm's carbon footprint is that the term itself was popularized by BP to shift responsibility for climate change away from large corporations and onto individuals. The future of our planet does not rest on your next visit to the wine shop. Nonetheless, a global shift in winemaking practices like Antonella is urging could significantly lessen agriculture's contributions to carbon emissions. And natural wine could become more than just a buzzword. For this week's meat, H. Conley has a story on, well, meat. What is good meat? And how do you identify it? For folks who care about sustainability and animal welfare, but also enjoy eating steak or bacon once in a while, knowing where to shop is of tantamount importance. 
I spoke to journalist Lisa Held, host of The Farm Report and a senior reporter for Civil Eats, to get some answers. Lisa recently published a story in her Substack newsletter, Peeled, about Belcampo. It's a meat company that was founded in 2012 when grass-fed beef was primarily produced on small farms selling locally or regionally. So Belcampo came along and essentially said, we've got $50 million and we are going to take grass-fed beef and we're going to make it competitive with commodity grain-fed beef. Commodity beef cattle spend most of their 18-month lives in feedlots eating some combination of corn, barley, wheat, soy, and sorghum. This is an efficient way to get them to full-grown or slaughter weight quickly with low labor costs. One of the drawbacks of confined feeding operations is the waste they produce. Manure can leak from storage tanks or waste lagoons into groundwater. Grass feeding requires enough land for rotational grazing, which is labor-intensive. Cattle raised on grass are usually two or older before they are at slaughter weight, and they spend those years fertilizing and trampling their pastures. This builds topsoil, stimulates grass growth, and increases water retention and carbon sequestration. Grazing takes full advantage of cattle's ability to turn grass into fertilizer and human food. Belcampo combined sustainable practices with a vertical integration model that has proven profitable for conventional meat companies like Tyson. They own the farm, processing plant, butcher shop, and restaurant. So you know along the whole supply chain that we are the company that is raising and processing and selling you this high-quality grass-fed beef and other meat. They grew past the capacity of their 27,000-acre farm, so they created a network, bringing on other farms with similar practices. But at the end of May, Evan Reiner, a former butcher at the Santa Monica Belcampo, started posting videos to his Instagram story. He showed packaging that suggested Belcampo was mislabeling meat. Some of it was grass-fed from Tasmania, some from U.S. farms outside the Belcampo network. And then there were also some just, like, legitimately commodity corn-fed beef packages that he showed on camera. And essentially what he said in the videos was that not only was Belcampo selling this meat that wasn't coming from their farm or their network, but that they were labeling it as their own meat and selling it in the meat case at the same premium, you know, organic grass-fed prices. Belcampo put out a statement confirming that they had been selling outside meat. It said the Santa Monica location was breaking policy by not properly labeling it as such. Anya Fernald, the co-founder, has said that they are launching a comprehensive investigation into the situation to ensure it doesn't happen again. It's pretty unlikely that nobody in the corporate leadership knew that this was happening because, I mean, they had open accounts with big meat providers and, you know, there were invoices being paid. And it's not like there was someone sneaking this stuff in. Like it was, (laughs) there's got to be a paper trail at a company like that. Many meat companies have had supply chain issues throughout the pandemic. What may have been an attempt to avoid low inventory could end up eroding the trust consumers have in sustainable meat producers. The scandal could be used to fuel that narrative, even though countries like Australia and New Zealand have huge grass-fed industries. 
people are, are going to have that reaction. Like, see, we have to put cattle in feedlots because you try to do it, you know, at scale with grass fed and it doesn't work and you can't make money and there's not enough meat. And then you have to sub something in. They didn't have to start selling other meat, right? They could have just, or they could have swapped it in and labeled it and said, Hey, we don't have this cut this week and just been transparent. They could have also used the opportunity to educate their consumers about the fact that when you do beef or any meat in a sustainable way, that means, you know, cuts are limited. Animals take a certain amount of time to grow because they're living beings. Belcampo tried expanding to a national level, and they may have been spread too thin recently. But this isn't the only way to scale up. Lisa has interviewed Will Harris of White Oak Pastures, a mid-sized, diversified, regenerative farm in Georgia. Will aims to create a replicable model. His goal is not to grow larger, but to have others learn from his grass-fed operation and recreate it in their own region. So you can take, a, you can take an amazing model of a grass-fed farm, and then you can have one in every town. So how should consumers approach shopping for sustainable meat? A common piece of advice is to know your farmer, but that's not always possible. A big part of finding good meat is just finding people who will tell you where exactly where it comes from. If a company won't get specific about their sourcing, you should wonder why that is. Lisa recommends the website The Good Meat Breakdown, where you can learn about misleading terminology, what specific certifications mean, and which questions you should be asking. Like, for instance, you know, a company is saying, oh, we have um, our chickens are grass fed. Well, that's ridiculous, right? Or like our chickens are hormone free, like hormones are never given to chickens, right? So there are like ways that companies like use these buzzwords. And if you know, actually about the system and what labels do apply, then you know, when you're being kind of misled. Chickens are omnivores who eat food scraps and insects, but they can't digest grass. Knowing the difference between pasture raised, grass fed, cage free and free range can help you make better decisions when shopping. If you care about your food choices, choosing better meat is like maybe the most important choice you'll make when it comes to your, you know, what you're buying because it involves the welfare of animals. The environmental impacts are so great um, compared to vegetables or grains or other foods. Meat that is grown sustainably is more expensive But most nutrition guidelines advise that high-quality animal protein should be a small part of a diversified diet. By spending your dollars with small, sustainable farms, you can support their practices and impact. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Learn more about the guests and topics we touched on this week by checking out our show notes. Special thanks for this episode go to Brianna Brady, Brandon Futernick, Carmen Sherlock, Cameron Berger, and H. Conley. Meet and Three is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Katie Mosman-Wadler, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Kat Johnson. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. 
Meet and 3 is powered by Simplecast. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or just want to say hi, you can write to us at ideas at meetn3.nyc. That's all spelled out.